I'm honored to introduce to you our second speaker, Father Anthony Pinisato. His educational background includes an MA in Forensic Psychology from John Jay College of Criminal Justice, a PhD in Psychology from Georgetown University, an MA in Theology and Pastoral Counseling from DeSales Graduate School of Theology, and a postdoctoral MS in Clinical Psychopharmacology, wow. a big word, from Alliant University. Father Pinisato was an instructor in the Department of Psychology at Georgetown University, where he taught courses in forensic and abnormal psychology. He has completed an internship at Bellevue Hospital in New York City and a postdoctoral institute on the psychology of trauma from the Maryland Psychological Association. As a clinical and forensic psychologist, in the 1970s, Father Pinisotto spent three years working as a policeman in Washington, D.C., before being ordained a priest in May of 1978. In 1988, he concurrently went to work for the FBI with the assignment of investigating the killings of on-duty police officers. Having retired from the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit after 20 years, Father was involved in research that examined suicide by police and the psychological evaluation of crime scenes. Father was a member of the Oblates of St. Francis de Sales and transferred to the Diocese of Arlington in 2010. Since then, he has been assigned to various parishes, including St. William of York, St. Timothy, and currently St. Luke in McLean. It's our privilege to have Father share his insights with us today. Good morning. <clears throat> I hope you can hear me. Is that, is that all right? Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm glad that I got a bit of an introduction because <clears throat> much of what I'm going to talk to you about comes about as a result of my background in psychology, <clears throat> not so much my background as a Catholic priest. You got a nice dose of Catholicism this morning. I was in the back listening, and Father did a wonderful job. Uh, even quoted from scripture, which you don't hear priests do too much. I was very impressed with that. <laughs> but today, what I'm going to talk about, uh, I'm going to talk about from two cats, sort of. The Dr. Pinizzato, forensic psychologist, and the Father Pinizzato, the Catholic priest at St. Luke's. You might be asking, what is a priest? talking about communication in marriage. Did you ask that question? Did you come up with an answer? I'd like you to share that with me if you did. I think communication is so vitally important, but how to deal with communication and the context of that communication is what is important. 
Now, I mentioned my background in forensic psychology because I was a member of the Behavioral Science Unit of the FBI for 20 years, and we're the ones who looked at serial killers and serial rapists. And so my ideal today is to get you to do what's on the left. <laughs> with each other. And you have conflict and you deal with that conflict in a very healthy way. On the right is one of the fellows that I was a pen pal with, Gary Heidnick from Philadelphia. When he had conflict with the women in his life, he killed them and ate them. That's not something we're going to encourage. <laughs> but anything away from here and toward that, I'm going to be happy with. As long as you're not killing your spouse and eating him or her, you're doing a good thing as far as I'm concerned. Now, how do we deal with communication effectively within a marriage? Well, we can do it one of two ways. We can either do it the popular way, which is if you follow these steps, you sit together, you look eye to eye with the person, and you say things like, when you close the door loudly, I feel you don't respect me. <laughs> That's the Dr. Phil approach. And, and others in, in that, that genre. One of the things that I think is interesting, if you go into bookstores, any of you go into bookstores anymore, go on Amazon, when you look under self-help books, there are thousands of them. What does that tell you? They don't work. <laughs> the only one that worked, we wouldn't need all those other ones, but they don't work. Why is it that they don't work? They're trying to teach communication before two people are connected. That doesn't work. I heard Father earlier talk. He was talking about you see the person across the room, and it's almost like energy occurs. And you want to meet that person because you're making contact. You get closer to the person, and you feel a little jolt in your body because you like being with that person. That's connectivity. When you have a connection with someone, then you can communicate with that person on a deep level. If you don't have connection with someone, that communication doesn't work. And that's the problem with self-help groups. They begin by saying, if you follow this script, everything will be fine. Well, it's not. That's why there are so many books and so many therapists and so many programs, because they don't work, and people bounce one to the other. What's important is to develop first connectivity. Now, my assumption in dealing with married people is that you've already connected. That's why you're married. <laughs> if you haven't connected, <laughs> I think you're wasting your time here. Because <laughs> it's not going to work. But if you've connected, then you have. 
then what I'm going to say makes sense. Now, I can give you examples of where it doesn't make sense and where it doesn't happen. I sit on the enrollment board for the Diocese of... of <laughs> and my purpose in the in the in the board as a psychologist is to talk to the people and find out if there is a connection. If there is what we call in church terms did you ever just go blank? <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Where you have this connectivity, it's not a contract. What do we call marriage in the Catholic Church? A covenant. A covenant. Covenant and connectivity are the same. When two people come in and ask for, typically one person comes in and asks for an annulment. When I left this morning, I was just wearing one of those shirts where you don't have to wear a jacket. And my pastor said, why don't you dress up for a change? I'm always going, I never wear jackets because it's always too hot. So he says, dress up. You're going down to talk to these people. Show them some respect. So I dressed up, but this is one of those false. And I can't take my jacket off. Or I have to stand like this. And it's hot in Take it off. Let's hear a little bit more of that. I feel like I feel like I'm a dancer. So when people come to me as, as a priest and psychologist for an annulment, what we're determined, not what I determine, but what the judge determines is was there not that contract, but was there that covenant? If there's no covenant, there's no marriage. And that's what we're looking at today. We're saying you don't have just a contract. A contract is when you sign on the dotted line, and then if things don't work out, you leave. And we call that a divorce. A covenant is different from that. A covenant is that connectivity where your relationship reflects the relationship of God with Israel in the Old Testament and Christ and the church in the New Testament. And a covenant cannot be broken. A contract can be broken. But a covenant cannot. And if you have a covenant, you can't get an annulment. An annulment says there is no covenant. So what determines the covenant? We're going to see as we continue to talk, it's the same thing with connectivity. When two people come together, they come together mutually respectful of each other. Saying to each other, you are more important to me than anyone. And no matter what we have to deal with, we'll get through it. There's a needs exchange. Mutuality. Not only is there a respect, but there is a mutual respect for self and others. What we find when we're looking at some people who are coming in for an annulment is 
They don't have it to give. We have three things that we look for in a covenant. Is the person free, mature, and responsible? And if they're free, mature, and responsible, and they say, I do, what happens? They confer the sacrament on each other. The priest doesn't sacramentalize that covenant. You do. When you are free, mature, and responsible, and your spouse is free, mature, and responsible, and you exchange that vow, you confer the sacrament on each other. Now, as the great St. Thomas Aquinas said, you can't give what you don't have. And so if you're not sufficiently free, mature, and responsible, when you say, I do, no matter how much you mean it, you can't give what you don't have. There is no covenant there. And so in the assessment of these two people, we're looking to see, were they premature and responsible when they said, I do? And if they were, then that's covenant. They have connected on not only a biological level, they've connected on a psychological level, an emotional level, and a spiritual level. And that makes it sacramental. Now you have to wonder, if you had that to begin, what happened to it? If you were all excited about being with each other, if you were only concerned about each other, what happened? Does marriage mean that over a period of time you begin to lose brain cells? that you're no longer able to <coughs> communicate with one another? I mean, that's what it seems to be saying when they say the marriage doesn't work. If you really had it, you're always going to have it. If you were connected with one another, you're always going to be connected. Now there are some things that will stand in the way of that connectivity because we're human, but that connectivity is always there, and it's going to remain there. And what we do is, some of the guides that I'll talk about in terms of communication are only there as, as guides. They're not scripts. It's not, if you say this, everything will be better. Because the first thing that we do is reconnect. We go back to when things were connected well. And then we begin to move on with, now we'll look at these guides and how you're communicating. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, we have a question and answer period, but I much prefer interactive. So if I'm saying something and you don't agree with it, Rather than throw something at me, just raise your hands and we'll, we'll, we'll interact that way. Um, ask any questions you want. Are there stupid questions? Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I'm here to talk about truth, so I'm not going to start out lying to you. There are stupid questions. And I'll, I'll tell you if you, you want to know if it's a stupid question. That's fine. You can ask whatever you want. For example, someone says, 
should, when she says, does this dress make my butt look good? <laughs> what are you, crazy? <laughs> of course you lie. <laughs> you do it in an acceptable way. Here, that accentuates you in a way I can't describe. <laughs> I'll give you a lot of those little helps as we go. <laughs> now, these are the points that I want to stress before we get into any of the guides. Do you really want to feel emotionally connected with your partner? Now, if the answer to any of these are no, then you have to wonder, is this a partner? And at the very end, I'm going to ask those same questions. If you can't communicate on this level, if you don't have that sense of we are connected, you have to ask yourself, did we make a mistake? And that's when you call me for the annulment. There are people who've made mistakes. I don't think any of you are in that category. You wouldn't be here. So... First, we want to know, do you want to feel emotionally connected to your partner? There are some people who let things build up so much that they say no. It's too much work. I've tried, and I'm done. That's regrettable, but it's, it's possible. How curious are you to learn his or her perspective? So many times when we talk, we want to present our perspective. There are ways to do that, but we still want to learn what his or her perspective is. Because this covenant is based on mutuality. And that's why not only is your perspective important, the other person's perspective important. So, do you really want to learn that perspective? And again, if you say no, you might as well not go any further in this. Do you care how she or she, he or she feels right now? There are, again, some people who have become so hardened that they say no. And then, finally, think about, and I'm, I'm going to talk a lot about think about before you speak. Think about what do you love and value about your partner? And you might want to begin a conversation telling your partner what you think about them, what you're interested in about them, how they make you feel, so that you begin with that connectivity. You begin with reflecting on that covenant that you have based on the Lord Jesus. What's going on within you? Just because you're married doesn't mean that you can't have feelings and reactions. But you really have to try to understand what's going on within you. What are those needs you're expressing? Why do you have those needs? Is it something that has nothing to do with the relationship? Is it something that has more to do with your childhood? or previous relationships and now they're becoming they're coming to the surface in this relationship and so you need to ask yourself 
what are those needs and why do I have them? And if they don't deal specifically with this relationship, then it's your responsibility to let that person know and then to seek some help to work out what those needs are. Think. When we talk about, and we're going to go through, as you see in those handouts, we're going to go through a variety of situations that are sensitive. Well, how do you approach them? The first way to approach them is to think. And reflecting what Father said earlier this morning, think and pray. Prayerfully reflect on what your needs are, what you want, and how you're going to express that in a way that respects the other person. By being demanding, does not respect the other person. A lot of people are in positions of authority or in positions of management. This is not work. This is not where you go in and tell your spouse what you expect of them. Remember, this is a mutual needs satisfaction relationship. So we're going to look at, not scripts, but guides to how we approach sensitive conversations regarding the situation, your feelings, the cause and effect, and the request for behavioral changes. And Father was talking, it was interesting, Father was talking a little bit about that this morning when he was talking about what changes you should expect. These are behavioral changes, not, not values changes. We really can't ask somebody to change their values, as we're going to see. And that's why pre-cana, dating, engagement, those periods are so important. Because during those times, that's when you begin to exchange ideas on what are core values to you. And those core values are not something that necessarily can be changed and certainly not something that your spouse has a right to demand that you change. And so, for example, one of the big ones that we see in, in the tribunal is the whole right to life. Now, if you're dating somebody and one or the other believes that at any time in the relationship or in any time of the pregnancy, that abortion is acceptable. Well, that's going to be very difficult to negotiate through, even after you're married. So you've got to be careful about expecting too much from the other person. Values are difficult to change, and I have to wonder if it's respectful to demand someone to change his or her values. But it's your responsibility to find out what those values are before you engage in the wedding relationship, the marriage relationship. So, um, there were some hands up. I, I uh, purposely avoided them because I was on a roll. <laughs> uh, any, any questions at this point? Okay. So, once we have established that we're in this covenant, that we are connected, then how do we respectfully, honestly approach 
situations, especially situations that are causing us some grief. I can't give you, as I've mentioned earlier, a script, because each of us has our own personality. You know, if I approach things huggy, kissy, sweetie, th people would say, what happened to him? Did somebody hit him upside the head? I'm not like that, as you can tell. <laughs> and some of you are not like that. So your spouse knows that. So if you're approaching things in a way that's inconsistent with who you are, it's not going to come across as honest and genuine. And so when I talk about these scripts or these, these guides, they're not intended to be taken as this is what I'm going to say. Rather, it's a philosophical approach to what we're saying in a healthy, respectful way. One of the things that really caught my attention when I was sitting in the back of the room was Father mentioned that communication can be verbal and nonverbal. And boy, that just caught every fiber of myself when, when he said that. Um, when I was a very young priest, um, and I was going to be ordained 40 years this year, so we're going back um, pretty long. I was a, a very young priest, no experience at anything. You know, my primary degree is in English. I didn't know anything about pastoral this or pastoral that. So I go into this, this I'm, I'm young kid on the block, somebody dies, there's a, a vigil, what we call those wakes, and you wake that person's in. So I go in, and as I walk through the door, these adult children come toward me and say, Father, I can't get him to let go. Well, I'm thinking, let go, you know, yeah, she's dead, I know. No, let go of her hand. He was at the, the coffin, his wife died, he was at the coffin, holding her hand. Not saying anything, but holding her hand. And when we talk about the spirit moving people, it must have been, because I'm not particularly bright, I don't have much experience in anything, and here I was, a young priest out of the seminary, so I walked up and I say to him, you must really love her. Not you did love her, but you must really love her. And he looked at me and said, Father, I can't even express how much I do. And I said, well, can we go outside to the corridor and talk about that? And, and I took her hand and placed it down. And then we went out and talked. That has stayed with me these 40 years. Because while he was sitting there, while he was standing there with her hand, they were communicating. Now, he wasn't just holding her hand. He was communicating with her, nonverbally. And that was one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced. That's communication. But that's communication on that connectivity. They were connected even in death. And that's what I'm talking about. When you have that kind of connection, then what I'm talking about here is going to make sense. Because you're beginning with that connection, that covenant. And so what we want to do is to begin by talking about the facts. What specifically 
straightforward description of what we're concerned about. Now, we can say things like, our relationship has really sucked lately. <laughs> and you can believe that. But if you say that, what's the response you think you're going to get? Yeah, yeah. Same thing, our bedroom looks like a bomb went off. It probably does. You know, these are not false statements. They're accurate statements. But you have to think about when you say that, how is that going to go across? How is that going to get across? So, uh, this is just a little psychology humor. Um, choose your words carefully because if you say the wrong thing, you know, that mask might come off. And what was that show, Psycho, that he stands there with that, that knife? That, that incredible. Yes. Having answered those questions of connectivity, 
and, and you've now decided that connection is more important than the topic of communication. In other words, is it as important for you to get across the point that you want to go to the mountains and she wants to go to the shore? Some people like different approaches for vacation. Is it more important that you communicate what you want, or is it more important that the two of you continue that connectivity? So how can that be approached while still maintaining that connectivity, and yet talking about two completely different ways of expressing that vacation? This is where we have that exchange. <laughs> Like, you do your thing this time, I'll do my thing next time. So, like, you tell our kids, or we take turns, or take turns. Would that work for you? I think it would be sort of fair that you both feel like you're getting, you know, fair. Would that work with both of you? Maybe, maybe not. See, the point, it's, it's sort of I'm setting you up for, for something, because... The response doesn't matter so much as how you work that out. And you might work it out where, and some people have, I'm going to go to the mountains for a week. I'm, you're going to go to the shore for a week. We might spend three days in the mountains on part of the vacation. Three days. There is no right or wrong answer to how you determine what you're going to do. It's how you arrive at that that's important. Now, that can be tricky sometimes because you, you really have to approach this with, I want to understand why that person does like this or doesn't like this. And what meaning is there attached to it? Because sometimes there's meaning attached to something that we don't understand. And that's where the other person has to be honest enough to come through with why he wants one thing or another. Um, one, one couple that I worked with, um, they had a house in the mountains. And when they were together, the husband had an affair in the cabin in the mountains. That ended that relationship. It didn't have to. I'm not saying an affair ends a relationship, but it ended that relationship. This woman goes on and she meets somebody new. They have a wonderful time. They have a wonderful relationship. And now in the marriage, he says, let's go to the mountains for vacation. And she explodes. What do you mean the mountains? <laughs> you know where trees are. <laughs> she never discussed that with him. So you have to be upfront and honest with is there some meaning behind what's going on? Okay. This is a great thing, and, and Father mentioned this earlier. Um, interest and caring are conveyed primarily by facial expressions, body language, tone of voice, not simply by words or technique. And so when you're discussing something, as Father was talking about in prayer, 
You know, we go before the Lord and we just place ourselves there as we are, open, because He knows us and He loves us. Well, if we go to our spouse that same way and we talk to our spouse that same way, that creates or extends that connectivity. And it's within that context that that we're able to talk about things that have a lot of meaning to us. And we can share why we're reacting the way we're reacting. Because we already have that trusting relationship. These two points are probably two of the more important points for this presentation. Do you always agree on things that you talk about? If you did, I would say you probably have a wonderfully pathological relationship. <laughs> because that's just not natural. It just isn't. If you never argued about anything and you agree about everything, one of you is probably very passive, the other one's probably very assertive, if not aggressive. It just isn't good. Yeah, you can see me. I do, I do therapy on Thursdays. You can uh, send me your, your uh, insurance card and we'll work the details out later. You're not going to agree on things. And you shouldn't have to agree on things. But you have to, you have to, you must communicate that love and respect even with the differences. You can have differences in the context of a good solid relationship. It's how you decide to resolve those differences that's important. And it doesn't matter how each couple resolves them. That's not what's important. It's that the two of you mutually and respectfully resolve them. And anything short of this devalues the connection. And so having that respectful approach to one another, as I can see many of you do just by looking at you. We were talking just in passing about the body behavior and, and body language and, and how one looks at one another. I'm, I'm observing some of that as I'm talking. And that's a good thing. That shows that there is that connectivity. It shows that there is that covenant. So instead of, as we started out with, with the conversation openings, our, how our relationship really sucks lately, we've been fighting a lot more than usually these last few weeks. Now, why is that more neutral? Well, first of all, look at the first word. We, not you, but we have been fighting a lot more than usually the last few weeks. We're owning up to, we're both part of this. Now, if the person agrees to it, then you can move on. Yes, we have been. Why do you think that is? What seems to be going on? So that's a lot more positive, and it's a lot more mutually respectful than saying our relationship has really sucked lately. Our bedroom. There are a lot of clothes on the bedroom floor. Why is that more positive? Because it's simply objective. 
You're simply stating a fact. All you have to do is open the door and see. This is not rocket science. Open the door, look in there, see the clothes. <laughs> Your spending is out of control. Now, as you know, one of the big things in, in marriage is finances. Um, finances are, are really tough for some couples. Other couples, not a problem at all. But for some, finances is really uh, a, a, a strong source of contention. And sometimes the spending is, is on one side. And you can say, your spending is out of control. And then you have to deal with another bill, which is from the hospital. <laughs> or you can say, we're $300 over our budget. In other words, we budgeted what we should be spent. We did. And now we are $300 over that. How did that happen? Hmm. Shoes. I got new shoes. I, you, that's where you begin to, to talk about how this happened. And I'm not saying she bought the shoes. Don't accuse me of sexism. I didn't say she. I said shoes. That's all. You're the ones who are sexist thinking I meant she. Okay. We haven't been intimate in two months. Now... <laughs> I won't give that example. Let's just move on. I haven't been out with my friends since the baby came. Now that happens a lot. You know, when a couple is married, and, and you people know this better than I, I know this just from observing, but when two people marry and a third comes along, Two, one plus one is more than three. And you know that. It changes the dynamic of the household and the relationship tremendously. Well, how are you dealing with that? You can deal with it in very positive ways or very negative ways. That's up to you. The, the non-blaming I statements... What you want to be careful of is, I'm feeling this, and you're the reason for it. Well, no, that, that doesn't make sense anyway. I'm feeling this, and I have to come up with the reasons why I'm feeling this way. It's not you that's making me feel some way. I'm feeling it. You have to own your own feelings. Don't blame the other person for the way you're feeling. That's the first thing. The second thing is, you may feel upset, you may feel angry, you may feel hurt, but try to figure out why that is. And then think in terms of defining it, asking about how intense it is, how long it's been going on, and then the cause and the context. The reason why you have to be careful about that feeling thing is because you have every right to your feelings and the other person has every right to his or her feelings. And feelings are neither right nor wrong. They simply are. You can't say you're feeling this way and therefore those are bad feelings. They simply are feelings. Now, why you got to that point 
is your whole biopsychosocial spiritual history. But the fact that you're feeling that way is neither right nor wrong. It, it's simply a fact. And so you have to be very careful when you're talking to somebody and blaming them for how you're feeling. So, the I statements. We're moving from very broad feelings, I feel angry, to something much more specific. Angry and stressed. Angry and irritated. So the questions that you're asking yourself, are you really more confused or disappointed than mad? Sometimes we experience an emotion, but behind the emotion is something that's triggering it. I'm really frustrated, and because I can't deal with my frustrations, I'm acting out in anger. I'm feeling frustrated, and so now I'm expressing that frustration as anger. So we have to think in, in our own mind what's going on with us before we can clarify that with somebody else. Intensity. Um, I'm beginning to rush a little bit through this because we're, we're getting toward the end. And, and these things, you, know, you can read them as well as I can, um, but some of them I, I'd like to add a little bit of, of uh, comment on them. The intensity, sometimes we mask the intensity. We don't allow the person to know just how upset we are. And that's a problem because Freud, and not too many people even study Freud much more nowadays, let alone believe what he said. But I, I think Freud had a lot of, of good stuff to say. And one of the things that he said is that we're a closed system. And so when we get angry, that anger needs to express itself. And if it doesn't express itself in a healthy way, it's going to express itself in an unhealthy way. Now some of that might be psychosomatic. You develop headaches, backaches. You become an ache for the other person. Um, it's going to express itself in some way. And the longer you allow that to grow, the more difficult that becomes to deal with. And so intensity is one of the, the important issues that you have to think about. How intense is this? And then I think duration is the next one. Yeah, how long has this been going on? And the longer it goes on, of course, the more intense it becomes. And so as you're experiencing something that causes you uneasiness, that, that lack of equilibrium, both internally and in the relationship, you have to stop and think and then express in that objective way what, what is going on within you, within you. And then this is, this is a great one. Um, cause and context. And I, I mentioned earlier, you want to avoid naming your partner as the cause of your feelings. They're your feelings. Own them. If you're upset, figure out why you're upset. Then you can talk to the person about why you're upset. But don't blame the feeling. You made me mad. You made me upset. You're giving that person an awful lot of power and control, first of all, which you shouldn't be doing. And secondly, it's wrong. You're the one who's feeling angry and upset. Why are you feeling angry and upset? Are they standing over you with a club? Why, why are you saying they made me feel anyway? 
And then blame begets defensiveness. The more you blame somebody, the more defensive they become. Simple stuff. You teach your kids this stuff. It's not... Uh, yeah. I just mentioned, I already mentioned that. Okay, now, here's, here is uh, a few more of those things. Now, the, the ones that are in quote are actually things that, that I went through my notes with people that I've, I've dealt with. And these are, these are things that I cleaned up a little bit in some cases. But they're things that people actually said, your clinginess makes me feel suffocated. Well, I don't even know what that means. Your nagging is driving me crazy. Well, crazy, what, crazy means something to me. It probably doesn't mean the same thing to me that it means to you. You're such a slob. That's what Father was telling me this morning. <laughs> so I dressed up. Um, so how, how, do we, how do we try to look at the cause and contextualize it, which is what we're talking about here? Instead of that clinginess, I miss seeing my friends. Oh, well, when was the last time you saw them? Oh, why has it been so long? This opens up the communication. Now, again, I'm not saying that this is, these are the words to use, but I'm saying to find out what the cause is and the context and bring that together when you're talking rather than blaming the other person. Getting numerous reminders about doing something makes me feel patronized. Well... You know, that, that driving me crazy thing. Uh, nobody really understands. Well, we know what they mean, but it's difficult to, what's the term that I want? Operationalize. And what we're doing here is operationalizing those trigger words. Nagging, driving me crazy. We're operationalizing those terms. What does it mean? Getting numerous reminders about doing something makes me feel patronized or patronized. You're such a slob. I feel frustrated when there are things all over the floor. Um, here again, you're owning your frustration. I feel frustrated when there are things all over. You're not saying, you frustrate me by putting those things on the floor. I really get worried about our finances when I see an overdraft notice in the mail. You're not pointing to who caused the overdraft. You're simply stating an objective fact. There's an overdraft notice that came in the mail. This worries me. You know, back to, to what the, the person was saying before. We budgeted $300. We did. And now here's this overdraft statement. I'm frustrated by this. I'm worried about this. So what have we done so far? We start the conversation with a straightforward description. We explain our feelings in as specific uh, a way as we can, define them, convey the intensity, explain how long you've been having this feeling, that's the intensity and duration, the cause and context of the feelings. Now we're ready to do what Father talked about this morning, I think, the behavioral changes. Not changes in value. You're not asking someone to change their values, attitude, desire, motivations, or feelings. But you are asking them to change their behaviors. And these are things that you can, can re request. But it's a mutual kind of thing. We have to, again, be very specific. I've already talked about you know, what does more loving, less critical, neater mean. We have to change those phrases around. 
And here are the things that you can say and the things that I would consider thinking about a way in which you can say it. I want you to be neater. You can say that. But I really would like if you could put your clothes, your clothes, put your dishes in the dishwasher and close the cabinet after you take stuff out of them. Now, is that threatening in any way? I think it's pretty objective. Is it something that is manageable? Is it something that is um, achievable? And so when you, when you construct that behavioral change that you're talking about, start out with something very small. Because there's nothing like success to make a relationship exciting. You know, if you see that change taking place, you feel good, you express that feeling to the other person, and that other person feels good. And that spark renews, because that's what you're doing through all this. You're renewing that spark, you're renewing that connectivity, you're renewing that covenant. I would really like it if you didn't make jokes about me being out of work in front of your parents. You know, that was, um, that was a real one. Uh, and boy, did that send these two into into a fight. You know, it was. Can you imagine how that person must have felt? Now, granted, it was that person's feelings, and that person had to own them. But you can understand why that person was feeling that way in that situation. Uh, I want you to be more loving. I, I, that's really a tough one and I'm surprised the chimes don't go off again because <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking a lot of behavioral ways you can ask your spouse to uh, spice things up but you determine what that's, what that's like and how you want to do it but it would mean a lot to me if you gave me a kiss when I came home from work and asked me how my day went and by the way could you put this little uniform on and <laughs> <laughs> Here is, here is the behavioral change. Rule of thumb, only tackle one situation and one or two observable behavioral changes at a time. Don't overwhelm your partner. You know, I want a new house. I, I, I do too. Yeah. Don't, don't go for, for you know, the cash out. Go for little things as you go along. Um, so here's how it might go, but I put in, in big bold letters, this is not a script, but the situation. Ever since the baby came, and this is, this is one that happens frequently, and that's why I'm using it. Ever since the baby came, we've both really been, we have both had our hands full. Uh, we haven't gone out together alone in months. I feel like we've become more platonic roommates than lovers. I'm beginning to feel disconnected from you. Now, some of you would never use that term, platonic lovers here. Or don't what are you accusing me of? Uh, see, you don't you don't use. You have to be. That's why scripts are no good. You have to say things in your own language. The request now. I know you're worried about leaving the baby with a babysitter, but I'd like to try it once, just for a couple hours, to see how it goes. Who can argue with that? Okay, what else do you consider? I'm, I'm going to skip over these and just sort of, of um, um, end them with um, 
with a summary statement rather than uh, going through each one of them. As I said in the very beginning, if you are connected, and my assumption is those of you who are here are connected, you wouldn't be here if you weren't. If you are connected, then there are ways to work out difficulties. Communication becomes a tool, not an end. The end is the relationship. That is what's important. And if you bear that in mind when you're approaching the communication, then the communication is going to flow naturally. Because you have mutual respect for one another, you love one another, you want to remain in that relationship. As you know, some people use communication to break the relationship. They approach conflict in a way that the person will end the relationship. Communication can be used that way. But that's not the way we want to use communication. We want to use communication as the, as to solidify and to encourage and to reconnect that spark in our And we can do that by remembering that within our tradition especially, we have a wonderful Catholic tradition, and within our tradition, marriage as a sacrament, number one, it's a sacrament that you confer on each other. The priest merely witnesses that to the church. You confer it on each other. Free, mature, and responsible. You make that decision. And once you make that decision, you now have the grace that God gives in the sacrament to live that sacrament out. Just as when the bishop puts his hands on my head and says, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, with that sacrament comes the grace to live my priesthood. Well, with your sacrament comes the grace to live that sacrament. And so you have the grace. Now the question is, how are you incorporating that grace? Because grace builds on nature, God helps those who help themselves. How are you using that grace to reconnect and to make alive that commitment that you made on the day you And on that, I will sign out. And if you have any questions, I'm around. I don't want to break into your lunchtime. I know better than that. <laughs> so if you have any, yes. Father, um, before you leave from there, can you please Sure. Let us bow our heads and pray for God's blessing. Almighty Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the grace of coming together. We thank you for the grace of sharing both the Father's love for us, the brotherhood that we share with Christ, and the influence of the Holy Spirit in opening not only our minds, but our hearts to the words that, that will make us live our marriage and our commitment together. We thank you also for the food that we are about to share. We thank that. We thank you for those who have put this workshop on. And as always, we place all of this in the name of Christ Jesus, your Son. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and the food and drink you share. Amen. Amen. Amen.